But I'm looking forward to talking about our old friend, Santiago Henria's book, When Movements Become Parties. Good, good. Um, so I'm here with Joel. Santi's coming, right? He's going to zoom in, yeah. He's zooming, right. Not... I mean, I wish he was coming. That'd be really fun. Yeah, no one's going anywhere. No one's going anywhere. <laughs> um, but anyway, his book is, I'll tell you a little bit about it, and then I'll tell you a little bit about what I've given you here, which is kind of a lot of quotes. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I. How are we going to get through this stuff in an hour? Uh, we're going to have to. We're going to hustle? We're going to have to be on the hustle, I guess. All right, all right. Um, so the book, uh, I will read you how he describes it at the beginning on page one, I think. This book develops a thick anatomy of the anatomy. Bolivian mass, the movimiento al socialismo, or the movement toward socialism. An anatomy an of anatomy. the party. An example, the mass is an example of a party formed by social movements organized around the political inclusion of the poor and underrepresented, and one that 20 years after its genesis and more than a decade in power still deviates from the conventional wisdom on political parties. This is Evo's party. This is Evo's party. Um, and a central goal of the book, says Santi, is to explain why some movement-based parties develop more top-down structures designed to enhance the power and autonomy of party leadership, while others remain more open to bottom-up participation. Okay. Um, so that's like sort of the goal of the book. The whole book is about the MAS. He does some comparative cases, but principally this is really a book about the MAS with some comparative cases shown... Um, to just sort of highlight some of the things that he sees going on. Okay. Um, and uh, in terms of research design, uh, I don't think any of my students are doing this design, but this is unlike, so when we read Jordi Diaz's book, he had a comparative case study that was like what they will be doing in their cases where they have a successful case and an unsuccessful case, right, that were similar on many things but then differed in their outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most similar design? Yep. Mm -hmm. Santi's is a deviant case. Ooh. So Bolivia, the mass in Bolivia doesn't fit what we might expect given the bulk of the theory on political parties. parties. Yeah. So what okay. I've given you quote-wise, I know we have a lot. I want to breeze through a few conceptual things um, because this class is about social movements, and this book is about social movements, but it also is dealing a lot with the literature on parties, and I actually think right. it's an interesting way to think about why um, movements are reticent to engage mm -hmm. in party politics, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I've, the quotes are not fully in order tonight. Okay. Um, I've given you a first set that's about a little bit about the party literature that... Um, I see some headings here. ...is set up against... Uh, parties, movements. Yeah, so the there's, there's a couple of things about parties that I just, we can yeah. move through relatively quickly, but to set up the stage, and then the rest are quotes about the mass. Um, so once you get into the... It's, it's, not, it's not that many more than usual. All right. We'll get where we get. We'll get where All right. we get. All right. Uh, early in the book, pages three to four, Michael's Iron Law of Oligarchy is arguably one of the most generalizable and prominent statements in political science. True, political mm -hmm. theorist study Michael. Uh, Roberto, right? Yeah, is that he's, how you say it? I thought it was Michel, it's not Michael, huh? I don't know, he's like Swiss-Italian. So I don't know, it depends on where you are, right? Yeah, like if you're in Turin, you probably say Michael. Yeah. 
I guess. I don't know. And if you're somewhere else, you probably say Michelle. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, 1920s, right? He's kind of a, I think he's in the elitist school of Italian thought with Pareto. Yeah. And he probably was a contemporary of someone like Schumpeter as well. This whole world of this northern Italian Euro vibe. All right. Sorry. You touched my buttons here Uh with (laughs) some history of social science stuff here. All right. Now over 100 years old, Michael's argument on the organizational development of parties predicts the inevitable rise of top-down elite-dominated hierarchical structures that concentrate power and de-emphasize bottom-up participation. Scholars still assume that even where parties begin as social movements or as distinctively bottom-up organizations, they all evolve until they are dominated by a specialized, professionalized caste of political elites. Now I've got one that's like not spaced. So yeah, go ahead. Can, you can okay. go ahead and read them too. These are just this about the like iron law of oligarchy. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then uh, page thirty. I assume that he has spent twenty six pages reviewing the literature on parties. This type of literature <laughs> assumes that wild parties. Santi will never hear this, right? Uh, assumes that no, while this is the, this because it's part of it. The first one is from his intro, and the second is from the theoretical okay. chapter. So okay, I, so some type of literature I assume on parties assumes that while parties might emerge from the bottom up as political expressions of grassroots movements and develop strong linkages with civil civic associations, age, maturation, and the presence of the electoral marketplace will cause parties to become gradually detached from their social bases. This is why, in general, many movement activists are wary of political parties and why they often are opposed to creating a party or participating in electoral contestation. Right. Right. So, I mean, all I wanted to make sure is that the students have a handle on this idea that political parties are, because they're courting a broad segment of the electorate... And responding to electoral cycles, electoral incentives... Are... They're seen to be these increasingly oligarchic, hierarchical, elitist, whatever you want to say, institutions or mm-hmm. groups, and that this means that, and I think we see this even among some of the probably, if not my students in the class that are themselves activists, but that they certainly have friends that it really eschew party politics, partly because of this idea of like, um, in part, that parties are not good, right? Necessarily seen as corrupts the whole. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I think we've been them. pushing against this a little bit with the Jordi Diaz book, right? Mm-hmm. Which talked a lot about sort of the importance of sort of internal, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. parties, but connections to the state, right? And here we're actually going to now start thinking about what happens if a movement actually becomes a party. Becomes a party. Okay. Uh, one more party problem. One more party foul. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Page 47. It's late. I don't know. Parties pursue connections to civic associations to expand territorially, recruit leaders, distribute the party's program, collect local information, mobilize voters, and so on. Whether on the left or the right, parties have traditionally benefited electorally from their linkages to unions and other less formal grassroots movements. So they're users. They're users, right? So I added this mm-hmm. quote partly to go on this tip of like why it is mm-hmm. that you might be reticent, right? Is that like 
the party is going to use your obviously you know yeah your info organization networks all the yeah, hard yeah, yeah. blood sweat and tears that you've put into something in order to like just get what they want right they're going to gobble you up gobble you up yeah. yeah, but if you're smart, you'll, you know, get the maximum you can out of it. Right. So so that we're going to sort of see the way in that that, that plays out in, in a couple of different ways, actually. Oh, because here we're going to talk about movement-based parties. Yes. Okay. Okay, so that that's the setup. This is like the setup of the literature of the what we expect from parties. Okay. Um, so we've set up what, they, what we expect from parties is they become centralized, top-down agencies that then use movements rather than anything like actually really respond bonding. to them to the right. interests in terms of um, Santi Henriette. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's our buddy, so it's hard to like not call him by his first name. But it's, so Santi's gonna sort of say that, like, especially in terms of like candidate recruitment and also then policy influence, right? So like mm -hmm. he's going to look at like whether or not the social bases, those social movements mm -hmm. are still actually influencing, um, making a difference in these two arenas, right? Okay. Which they're expected not to, right? They're being right. used. Right. Not having power. Right. Okay. Page 39. Movement-based parties enjoy organizational legitimacy when their social bases, usually a diverse set of social movements and popular sector organizations, accept the supremacy of the party over individual constituent parts. This presupposes a sense of loyalty to the party, the acceptance of its decisions as authoritative and final, even if they go against particular interests. So this part is saying that movement-based parties get organizational legitimacy when the movements that formed them ex ha experience party loyalty. Right. So we're, this is now, we're going to, so. Uh, there's more to the quote, but. Yeah. yeah. But it's okay, because I know this is a long one. But so partly this is setting up, okay, so we have this expectation of what a party is, right? Which is that, like, or that what a party essentially becomes, it's always this kind of elitist hierarchical, it's the iron law of oligarchy. Okay. All right. Now we're going to actually look at, we know that there are movement parties, mm -hmm. right? Um. And sort of this, I think, is actually setting up one of the big problems and why we can kind of expect some of this to happen um, okay. is related to this fact. Why we can expect some of what to happen, sorry. Oh, the sort of the, the olig oligarchy. Iron law of How oligarchy. would you say this, yeah, right? Sure. But like that one of the tensions that a movement party faces is that it needs its social base to get on board with the broader party platform for yeah. it to work. Good luck. Right? So that the movements tend to be particularistic in some sense, right? And that the party has to govern. So this is what the quote is going to give you. Okay. So this is what we're setting up. A little bit of this, like, what makes a movement party in particular a challenging kind of party to manage? Back on page 39. When in power, movement-based parties are particularly susceptible to suffering challenges to their legitimacy. This occurs because governing a country involves reconciling the interests of different groups affected by government policy. It also requires harmonizing or trying to reconcile the often diverse interests of the party's social bases. These groups can, under certain circumstances, successfully challenge government decisions if they disagree with them or if their interests are seen as not properly taken into account. 
As a result, governments headed by movement-based parties are likely to find themselves at odds with their organized social bases, which can become an obstacle to the party's programmatic agenda. Yeah, governing and moving, those are different things. Right. Yep. You can't just be answerable to the movement when you're in power. Right. You're answerable to everyone now. Especially, and I think the next quote is in particular about moving into the national arena. Yeah. Because when you think about the local arena, you can Jesus maybe Jesus Christ. Think, I mean, it's, it's impossible. It's, it's hard enough at the local arena. And to keep right? those activists happy right. while also having to make compromises with the, like, enemy. With all kinds of compromises, right? With, like, and sometimes, like, just dealing with constraints not even always compromises right yeah there are just institutional constraints like i actually can't do that right because of maybe like international international pressures or other kind of like legal pressures or right that there are all kinds of reasons in which that this is going to become problematic and as the scope and scale increases as we move from the local to national that these tensions only become Mm -hmm. heightened right because you're governing a larger, much, more diverse. Larger, and those constraints then become more complex as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So on page 44, in general, as movement parties contest for national power, due to the imperatives of electoral contestation and office or vote seeking, party elites tend to, over time, pull away from their movement bases so they can gain strategic flexibility in order to appeal to the median voter, who is generally less ideologically motivated than social movement activists. The movement thus can get progressively transformed into a machine, or worse yet, into a cartel of incumbents. In general, the longer it takes for, a move, for movement-based parties to take national office, the stronger the pressures toward moderation and top-down control. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, this is just another way in which this nationally, as you move from movement to local power holder to national or local power contender, right? Like power a, broker, like, to local power, power broker. broker. <laughs> to like national, right? As you move up, that... Local power brokers. That there is like both the issue of um, wider people you're governing for or trying to appeal to mm-hmm. to win elections, but then also, or that you're governing for, but then also this appeal appealing to people to win elections. And then mm-hmm. as you move from more particularistic movement interests to try to then win national elections, right, you clearly have to broaden your appeals past mm-hmm. your movement base or you're not going to be able to win. So again, as we think about the tensions that we've already seen this semester in the class, um, we've seen some of this, right, that like the sort of purest route Mm-hmm. will sometimes have a hard time making coalitions and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of actually achieving goals because it's too insular and it's not able to sort of speak to these broader concerns. And as we're thinking about contesting for power, especially national power, we're going to see this again sort of come into play. Yeah, I mean, it makes all makes sense to me. So I think that that was all my quotes about Parties. to sort of set mm-hmm. up, yeah. Just Why to, it's a problem. Why the mass... Yeah is, I assume, anomalous. Yes. That, deviant. So it is. It's a deviant case. It's an interesting, actually, kind of like, what, one of the things that's interesting about it is it has multiple features. Um, deviant features. Why we need the anatomy of the moss. Yeah, right. Um, so some but of not a pathology, is, right? Because it's not like, or not pathology. Not an autopsy. Not an autopsy. That's well, I mean. I mean, interestingly, this is actually a fascinating well, moment. I know. 
I so, know. So a little softball. A little softball. Uh, so <laughs> some of you may know uh, that Ava Morales was uh, removed in a coup about, when was that? When I was in the spring. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's when that happened. Um, so maybe not quite a year, something around there. Uh, he was removed in a coup. Uh, a right-wing uh, leader took charge. Uh, there was then supposed to be quick elections, and then they were pushed back because of COVID, and they have just happened, and it appears that the MAS has won, um, and has it looks to be has won in a first round. Um, in uh, Bolivia, you have to go to runoffs if you don't actually win uh, over 50% of the vote, um, and it appears that the candidate of the MAS has won over 50% of the vote. Uh, I think that the opposition actually conceded already, but wow. I'm not sure that's true. That may be false. But in any case, it, it, is, a, it is almost certain that the MAS is. So this is no post-mortem. So this is actually, interestingly, not a post-mortem. Okay. Now, all right. So we will just jump in here on page 67. Yeah, jump in. So now this is all about the MAS. This okay. is more, and some of this will be some quotes and stuff, I think, from mm-hmm. activists. Uh, The MAS can best be described as having two distinctive social coalitions. The central coalition is highly targeted. It is based on Bolivia's rural sector and consists of cocoleros and the chapare, as well as three national-level peasant organizations which conceive of the MAS as their political instrument. These social movement organizations distrust political parties and think of them as obsolete types of organizations that can slow down social and political change. In this segment of its central coalition, the MAS is organized distinctively from the bottom up and relies on the collective assembly-like style of decision-making utilized in Bolivia's rural social movements. Okay? So this, it's... This is the movement base, right? Is really the, the cocaleros mm-hmm. and the sort of peasant unions primarily in this one region of Bolivia called the Chapare. Okay. And they have some kind of assembly-like style of decision-making. So, yeah, very participatory, very participatory, what'd you say? People's mic. People's mic. Very participatory governance, right, Um, that is sort of coming out of this. uh, Farmer's alliance. Out of this, out of this, this period. And as you, as you maybe noticed, skeptical parties. Mm -hmm. And they don't even call the MAS a party. They call it. They call it a political instrument. Mm, right, they're a political instrument. So the MAS is, and it's funny because the, I don't know, you know, if, the, if the students, you know, read this or noticed this, it's, there's this hilarious part of this where as the MAS is becoming a party, it, it's not a party, and so they don't actually have the proper registration. So they keep just running on different parties, like, Lines, ballot Registr- lines. Well, no, nope. they kind of like take over these defunct names so that they can use the registration. And so like that's how they become the MAS is just because it was like a party that no longer functioned but still had like a legal registration. And so they just like took over that legal. And they had been like a couple other things in the meantime. That's funny. Which I think just clues you into this sense of their origins being really 
not outside, not into mm-hmm. parties, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were doing this because they thought it was a useful instrument, right? Mm-hmm. Not because they were really, right? I mean, they like mm-hmm. have somebody else's party name that you know, <laughs> just becomes mm-hmm. their 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 party. Um, so I think that's an important sort of thing to think about as we talk about the mass and to really understand it as truly this like skeptical to traditional politics, very strong populist movement. Mm, I don't want to use that term because it has. All right. We'll talk about, we may talk about that a little bit, but I don't Seems wanna, like we got to Right. I mean, but this, we usually in, in directly com- channeling the people's will, but in comparative politics, we think of that populism as top down. So we wouldn't describe what's happening in the Chapare as populist, right? Because it's very bottom-up. Okay. Right? Uh, that's fine. So, so th- you I mean, do you. <laughs> we're going to talk about populism, right. but it, it's important for the this case, to, for the MAS, to actually... To conceptualize it in a way that... Splits it, because we're going to see the populist side as different from what's happening in the Chapare. Okay. Right? So the Chapare is coming up where it's very still driven by people actively participating in a kind of participatory democratic process. Okay. All right. All right. Page 68. The peripheral coalition, which is different than the central coalition. Correct. In turn, relies on a broader set of urban popular organizations in Bolivia's largest cities where neighborhood associations, trade unions, and other forms of local collective organization play a key articulatory role. This expansion of the party to urban areas was based, on the one hand, on the ability of the MAS to aggregate interests and bundle issues together by finding common programmatic ground, articulating the claims for a remarkably diverse array of rural and urban movements that were mobilized in opposition to neoliberalism and extractive policies. So it's a left party, mostly mm-hmm. peasants, and it managed to get all of it managed to also, you know, tell an ideologically compelling story for urban activists too. Right. And where we're gonna start seeing what happens in the urban Well, you just area, throw neo neoliberalism in there. And you're fine. And you're fine. You win. So we'll see a little bit, we'll talk a little bit about the political uh, configuration that make that the case. Uh-huh. Um but here in this peripheral constituency. The urban constituency. Yeah. We're going to see a different process than we see in the Chapare. So we have two distinct organizing logics that are both dealing with social movements, mm-hmm. but are very differently organized and oriented. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me, it reminds me of... It reminds me of the left-wing circles that we were hanging out in in Mexico. How in, so? In so far as it seemed like there really were two radically different, like, levels there, where you've got, like, the urban, semi-sophisticated... Oh, I see what you're saying. You've got, like, urban ideologues... Uh-huh. And rural, like, people who are really interested in very concrete material distributional You're politics. Not, it's going to be even, it's going to be different than even that. 
you do have some of those. Right. And in especially so that we're going to separate out a little bit and we'll get more into the details of this. So I don't want to scoop it too much, but there's two sort of urban, there's La Paz and El Alto and they have sort of different, El Alto is more working class, poor La Paz is more middle class. And there certainly were appeals to those middle mm -hmm. class, more mm -hmm. ideologically mm -hmm. oriented mm -hmm. actors, right? Mm -hmm. The kind of educated left, mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. that would have been organized in politics. Right. So there was, Attempts at incorporating them, which also looked somewhat different than the attempts at incorporate, somewhat similar, but it wasn't a completely uniform process. So, like, as the MAS is expanding and trying to mm -hmm. broaden its support base, it is using a variety of techniques um, to do so. Okay. Maybe I'll read about them here. Yeah. On page 71. The creation and success of the MAS owes much to political opportunities created in the mid-90s with the passage of the Popular Participation Law and the Law of Administrative Decentralization. These laws involved the creation of hundreds of municipalities throughout the country and instituted direct elections for mayoral and council member positions and created institutional opportunities for social actors to participate in decision-making processes of, at the local level. The LPP, that's, that's the Popular laws, Participation yeah. Law, mm -hmm. was a major change that created opportunities for the inclusion of traditionally underrepresented groups into organized politics. It was, in short, a reform that bolstered rural civil society and would later help the mass. So they got, they got a boost from a law that required... It's basically... ...created opportunities for... One of the, yeah, what did it do? So, so this is like... To, there's a long quote to say the, a couple of things that I thought were important for the class to think about, um, given our sort of social movement. Political stuff. opportunity structure. Yeah, political opportunity. Santi doesn't use that term, I don't think. I think that was my word there on top of his quote. But, um, but basically, especially as you think mm -hmm. about like what we looked at with the DS book, right? One of the things that we saw was regularly like the ways in which in both Argentina and Mexico, the successful cases, they were decentralized federal states. So there was places for social movements to sort of like intervene in politics that weren't just at the national level, mm -hmm. right? So there was like different sort of opportunities that came up partially because of that system. And one of the things that we see in this period in Bolivia that matters a lot is that the state decentralizes, right? Mm -hmm. And okay. then creates all of a sudden now there's all these new mayorships or however we would say that right so that you could like now be run for local office there's more consultation that's happening and so that it's creating a venue for movements to influence politics that wasn't there before mm -hmm. so it's like a blowing up of like space for political activity and organizing that didn't used right, to exist right and keeping keeping the bottom of and attaching the bottom of the movement, it seems to me, to lower level electoral incentives. Yeah, I mean, it gives, it, it like pushes, I think, it gives like a lot of incentives for these movements to engage in politics, in yeah. this like electoral politics. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden, well, you could run your, your municipality, right? right? Right. And so I think it shifts that. The other thing that's just ironic for anybody that knows about Bolivia, 
um, anybody that has I've had in other classes, right, is the the president under which these laws get passed is a uh, Gonzalo Sanchez de la Sala, who's also known as Goni. Oh right, who's we the hated that. right actor in these later protests against neoliberalism and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So it's but kind of actually, ironic that he's like the mass ha- owes so much to Goni, both as an enemy and as like a friend, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Um, so well, he created the opportunity. He helped to create the opportunities by which the mass unseated yeah, him. He right? creates the structure, yeah. So Crazy. Um, anyway. All right. So on page 73, the crisis of neoliberalism and the related decomposition of the party system played a key role in accelerating the electoral ascendance of the MAS and its organizational growth. The MAS capitalized on the explosion of these protests by creating a master frame of opposition to neoliberalism and the traditional parties that took turns managing it. So they had, on one hand, maybe for the central coalition, all of this popular participation helped out a lot. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, for their urban peripheral coalition, the crisis of neoliberalism gave them a lot of ideological stuff in addition to it seems like that was related to the decomposition of the existing party system. I mean, basically the crisis, right, sort of the water wars and the protests that are mm-hmm. that, that were huge and mm-hmm. that ended up basically unseating presidents, right, mm-hmm. Um caused the collapse of the party system. Uh, I think there's a quote later on that we'll talk a little bit about this, but basically like everybody had sort of been supportive of this neoliberal turn. So like this was common across Latin America that governments will come in with a kind of anti-neoliberal rhetoric in some cases and then just institute the same neoliberal policies. So when, when it really came to a boiling point with what was called the water wars, which were protests over the privatization of water that jacked up the prices and made water uh, unaffordable for ordinary people. Um, was Coca-Cola involved in that? I forget. I thought it was a French company. Yeah, maybe right. I can't remember. Um, it's been a while since, yeah. I, since I've looked at carefully at those. But in any case, it, it created both... An opportunity. The mass that because they come from the Cocaleros were excellent protesters, right? So they were very good at protest, and then they well, were. Why they did that make them good at protest? Why did what make them? They just were that their history of was of. They're um, a union. A, a there farm, was a, a union. union. Well, they were. They were. They protested. Um, they were coca growers. They protested heavily against the eradication of. Coca and all the sort of abuse that happened by the military. You were right. It was uh, French company. A, a French company, and then one that was, what was like it called? Uh, Suez. Okay. Yeah. And another one was another conglomerate called Aguastel Tunari. Yeah, that one I remember. That was a subsidiary of the multinationals Bywater and Bechtel. Like a known CIA front, Bechtel. Really crazy. Well, anyway, it was a mess. Um, oh, but the so the Cocaleros were coca growers. A lot of they they were, they protested before this happened. But one of the things that happened, partly through changes in the economy, is that tin mining kind of went out, and a lot of the displaced tin miners miners are almost always really militant union folks. 
we could talk about that in class if you guys want to talk about why, but um, I don't want to go into that here so we can actually get through the material. But um, so you added this like long history of mining unions to the COCA mm -hmm. union, mm -hmm. and you ended up with a very potent, for a variety of reasons, again, that I don't want to go into too much, but that the, the Cocaleros were good protesters. Okay. <laughs> um, they were some very effective, had conducted some effective protests, militant kind of protesters. So you've got so. you've got a moment of mobilization of your most skilled and uh, like. So they don't start the water wars. This isn't like no. led by them, but like it's yeah, a it moment mobilizes in which them. It, they can, well, and that they can then do some right, some framing and some that they're sort of. They're adept at protests so that this can be a moment that they can right. you know, use to their advantage. And at the same time, the party system is collapsing because of the discontent. And right, right. And there was violence get... in response to this, a lot of repression. People were okay. very unhappy. All right, so this seems related that on page 74, during the water wars, the MAS employed a strategy of coalition building. Morales played a key role, mostly via charismatic appeals, uniting a remarkably diverse set of subordinate actors into a powerful political coalition that converged around the MAS. Right, so like he just uses this as an opportunity for framing and coalition building, right? That like, he yeah, but it sounds like in a very personalistic way. He knows what to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, this is like his, you know, his he's moment. like, oh, I know, what, I know what to do. Um, yeah, so he uses his, he has like a kind of interesting charisma, um, which I think is actually kind of different than I often think of some of the other charismatic leaders that we look at. He's mm -hmm. a little more soft-spoken, and I, I don't think about him as the same. He's not like a Hugo Chavez or Fidel Castro. Mm -hmm. He's like kind of got a different vibe, but still has this kind of charismatic appeal. Okay, okay. Uh, on page 75, the Mas's ascent to power was fast. It took less than 10 years. And in the process, the party expanded both territorially and organizationally and integrated new social actors as organizational pillars. It built strong ties with a wide array of grassroots groups, for example, by opening up party lists for elective office at all levels of electoral competition. This created important channels for social movements and movement organizations to select their own candidates through the internal mechanisms of the party and thus exert voice and influence over who would represent their interests in high electoral office. So I don't understand in this what it means to say the opened up party lists for elective office. I mean, basically what this is saying is just that as opposed to parties that have high like control over who gets put on the list... Um, which we don't think about so much in the U.S. because this is not mm -hmm. true here. Um, but where you would have the party, like if you're a good party loyalist, then you get to run for office. Right. Right. But this is, they just let it wide this open. This was like everybody can pick their own kind of person. If you're affiliated with the MAS, your group can put your candidate on the list. So it created a very open system of letting their kind of... So this movement. was an exploitation of the law of administrative decentralization. I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily that so much as this is how part of how the MAS... I just mean it's enabled by that. Not, explo oh, yes, not yes, exploitation yes, yes, yes. is see, the wrong... I mean. yes, yes, yes. Don't take that as a... But also for even for Congress. 
Uh-huh. Right. So that okay. we're okay. like now moving into yeah. like, you know, not just the local, but the national level. And it's partly how the mosque begins co-opting the groups that it's not are not part of its core base. Right. So if you the mosque is popular, the mosque is on the right is like doing well electorally. They have this party. If you want to join you could sort of ride the Moss's coattails into office and you can get into political office sort of under the Moss's umbrella as your mm-hmm. as as your movement, who may not have been a political party, right? You were just a whatever movement. And now you can actually get your like transportation union leader mm-hmm. now can have a position in you know, or run anyway for a position and maybe be likely to win given that the electoral fortunes of the mosque were on the increase, right? Does this make sense? Yeah, it strikes me though just as a dangerous strategy insofar as like, I mean, so the party, it seems to me like clearly doing something we think of parties doing, which is assisting ambitious office seekers in winning elections. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me like it's pretty. I mean, what I guess is just doing what parties do, but there's a part that I think how. I mean, how is it at all? What is it doing if someone gets elected under the Moss sort of um, banner that is not particularly aligned? Well, they're like the movements that are affiliated. So there's still like oh, so it's just becoming like a big umbrella for any correct, movement. Correct. So for just the becomes like affiliated movements. So it's not like anybody can run as the mass, but it's that. But any left movement can yeah. just be like, oh, I'm joining I'm the mass, and like now I'm gonna like have my candidate be part Occupy of Occupy Cochabamba. And that, and in particular, I think it becomes clear with some of these other quotes that the mass is actually courting some of these social movements, right? Mm-hmm. So that this is like a reciprocal. This isn't like, mm-hmm. I mean, some maybe are reaching out, but like the, especially in these cases where you're talking about these people getting running for and getting positions, you're really thinking here about some of the larger social organizations that the MAS is attempting to co-opt. Okay. Okay. Uh, page 86, penetrating the cities of La Paz and El Alto was crucial to the MAS's ability to win electoral majorities and become a national-level actor. There, the MAS came in as an outsider party and expanded in two ways. First, by building a territorial party infrastructure on top of pre-existing networks from older parties. And second, by configuring a network of alliances with urban party organizations. So just to make sure I understand, the territorial party infrastructure just means like thinking in terms of geography. Is that right? Like I think I think what's important here is okay. that the MAS is also in this moment taking advantage of the party system collapse. Okay. Right? So that that you see that the party that the parties that used to be strong in these areas mm-hmm. now kind of don't exist anymore. Right. Right? And so that the MAS is attempting to go in and take control of those areas by kind of sucking out the, and like really kind of sitting on top of really those old, now defunct, or relatively defunct parties. 
Got you. So it's a squatter. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, organizations representing groups as diverse as artisans, micro-enterprises, pensioners, transportation, street vendors, miners, working for cooperatives, and other forms of community organization, such as neighborhood associations, perceived the alliance with the mass as an opportunity to achieve parliamentary representation, occupy important positions in the government, and gain access to government jobs for their affiliates. For the MAS's part, by forging links to groups with great mobilizational capacity, the party dramatically expanded its support base and thereby its influence. Given that some of these organizations had been key protagonists in the protests that forced the resignation of two consecutive presidents, forging alliances with them was also seen as a way to ensure some degree of governability. Yeah, this is what you were just saying mm-hmm. a second ago. Yeah. All right. All right. I think that I still don't quite understand like what it is they're squatting on. So, okay, so some is just, so especially in El Alto, it was a very dense civil society, uh-huh. right? A lot of these organizations that were just listed. And so is there, can you, I think the next quote actually is okay. one from a activist. There was a few of these activist quotes. Yeah, yeah, so this is a masista in El Alto says on page 87, we can't deny we do that. We aim for our people to become leaders in these organizations. It is an effort to control the social organizations from the top. The MAS used a deliberate plan to win over previously existing popular organizations at the regional level by penetrating their social networks and seeking to control them. So, I mean, see. so there's like basically all these orgs that have high mobilizational potential, mm-hmm. right? That have, in fact, mobilized. And the MAS just drops moles in there. And the MAS just like puts people in and mm-hmm. attempts to, and then, the, I didn't put some of these other quotes that are there, but also is basically like giving people, because they end up wanting these government jobs, then they don't protest against the mass because they want the spoils of these government jobs. So the other, the, one of the things they're sitting on is that the old style of governance in these cities mm-hmm. tended to be machine kind gotcha. of governments, right? So it was a lot of trading Mm -hmm. jobs and particularistic benefits for political support. Mm -hmm. This was like the way that some of the left organized in these cities. Mm -hmm. And so the MAS basically came in and took over those old kind of clientelistic patronage-based sort of... There were people that were looking for some kind of distribution and they said, hey, vote for us. We'll do the same thing as the old guys. Right. And so that basically then they like they sort of used these these old sort of networks but also just ways of relating to politics and just sort of like this is like not at all what's happening in Chapare, right? Right. But like here they're like, Oh, okay. We're like we can work like that. That was the old party did this. Oh, we can do this too. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's the thing that they are squatting on top of. Gotcha. It's like these old Okay. Um, party networks, and then also then the thing w- that they're like going and infiltrating is the movements to try to get leadership that then is supportive of the MAS, but then also buying them off by, you know, oh, you're now the Minister of Transportation, you're, you know, mm-hmm. work in the Ministry of Transportation, and like, oh, your affiliates can get better jobs in the, you know, state jobs that have better pensions and whatever, and so that you get this sort of buying off of pe- would be opposition. Right. I mean, A, get electoral support, but I think the governability issue is as Mm -hmm. large here as the electoral support issue. Yeah, diffusing. Potential opposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, backing up to page 83 and 84. The Cocoleros still... So this is the this is the flip side, right? Okay. So this is like, now we're back to the core constituency. And this was actually talked about first, but because of the way that I organized these quotes, I kind of switched them. Yeah. So this is like to contrast again with what this style, right? Which I would describe this as being far more populist, right? This is top-down attempt at controlling movements, right? The one above? From El Alto and La Paz. Yeah. Right? So that... No, you wouldn't say that? I don't know. I mean... Well, they're not, like... Why is it top down? They're trying to control the groups from the top. Think about that quote from the Masista. Yeah. So they, they're not, like, concerned about getting input from, like, those... I mean, this happens, right? You can't... Sure. Those relationships. But the, this is a much more... This is much less that the mass is, like concerned in like listening to these right like mm -hmm. this isn't like the formation of the mosses i mean it, again we see that even these groups have not completely eliminated their autonomy but that like they are less autonomous by the way that the co-optation strategy has worked yeah. right because they are more dependent so this is like looks like much more of that kind of traditional populist kind of top down where you have these like social organizations that are controlled by state agents, basically. Right? I see. I see. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. It so makes this sense. This kind of clientelistic relationships, right? More It like looks more like machine politics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? For sure. For sure. Yes. And so Definitely this is that. like... To bring us back to the, what the how the core constituency this is like your first the quote peripheral where you're like, constituency is organized this way right is with this kind of like machine much more machine is a machine looking thing yes Compared, and then the cocoleros well I want to bring you back to the cocoleros to maybe hopefully illustrate again this difference between these two organizing logics the cocoleros still view the mass more as an extension of the union than as a classic party. With these community-based forms of decision-making, it came as no surprise that when Morales won the 2005 election, the cocoa growers imagined that the national government would function in a similar way to local government. In other words, the cocoleros thought the government officials as no more than spokespeople for their decisions or for decisions that were forged at their, the cocoleros, union meetings. But governing a country involves responding to wider domestic and international pressures. Nonetheless, of all the grassroots actors that brought Morales to power, he has maintained strongest links to the Cocoleros and the Chapari. So he is still, mind you, the president of the Cocoleros Union. Right. Or was, I don't know, I, I, to this day. But, like, but I mean, so then an actual state agent is at the top of that org, too. That's true, I suppose. So that's just the but, same. Well, well, it's not exactly the same. In the sense that, like, so keep, does it, is there more on them? No, that's the end. So one of the things is that the, 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 um, in the Chapare, they have, uh, far more protested against, the, the, they have, like, they've been sort of this sort of sense, this disjuncture between, like, you're just our spokesperson has when he hasn't been, there has been far more sort of holding to account. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, okay, that's different, right? Uh, 
so that yeah, there's the there's been sort of more holding to account on on that vector. I mean, I don't know. This would be, I guess, a question that we could ask Dante when he comes about like how different it is. But like that is still he still shows up in their communities. He still listens. I mean, there's a lot of uh, voice. What do we want to say? Like scapegoating of blame. That like none of this is from Avo. This is all from like how his policies got translated, ministers, other people's to blame. Um, but I think that there is still that kind of like reciprocal relationship of that core social movement base still exists to an extent that I don't think is nearly so strong. Um, the upward flow of information mm -hmm. from some of these other groups. I mean, they still are sources of information and they still are, right? I mean, it's like still linking huge amounts of social movement mm -hmm. groups, right? Um, but one really came from this much more sort of developed out of, like, by the social movement itself, like, sort of pushing upward into politics, whereas in the other cases it truly was, like, the Moss attempting to co-opt right. other groups. I see. Um, even if maybe you're right that in practice you still see um, some of this mix. I mean, in both cases, I think you do see this mixing of like elected officials, social movement activists, right? Like, or state state officials and social mm -hmm. movement activists are sort of mixing in both cases. All right. Here's my last one. In Congress, while the percentage of middle-class professionals has decreased from 48.7% in the 93 to 97 legislative period to 17.7% in 2010 to 2014, the percentage of peasants, artisans, and workers, those groups linked with the MAS, has grown from 3.9% to 26.3% in the same period. Each part of this can be explained by the methods that the MAS uses to select candidates. Even after the party assumed power, the party's grassroots and social bases have retained significant influence over the selection of party candidates for elective office, a pattern that empowered groups that were traditionally subordinate and underrepresented. Seen from the long arc of Bolivian history, this was an exceptional change in a society characterized by deep ethnic divisions and exclusion. Yeah, so I mean, talk about really massively changing representation. Yeah. So, I mean, we could criticize, so like, all right, so this is a little bit about, this chapter was talking a lot about just the way that the MAS forged a coalition that was able to win national political power, right? Yeah. Which had to do with these, you know, sort of different mechanisms. Then if we're thinking about, um, I mean, I think, and then we'll, like, I don't know, I forget what the next chapters are, but we're going to get more into, I think, the sort of way in which that this has translated into sort of policy wins. But one of the things that we see already is that um, if we think about the, like, iron law of mm -hmm. oligarchy, that, like, even though the MAS so starts out is this, like, organic social movement thing at the beginning, but then uses other methods to win a broader constituency, though it still relies on social movements, right? Much more top-down, but still relies on social movements. And that those methods of, like, forging those coalitions has actually pushed to some degree against this iron law of oligarchy thing, right? So that we actually see not, in fact, the oligarchic takeover of the movement party, but that the, 
like considerable diversification of Congress, right? Mm-hmm. That has not been true of Morales's. Well, now he's out, but like it was not true of his cabinet, mm-hmm. which started out far more diverse, and then the expertise needed to sort of have in that body ended up that sort of shifted, and also the coalition building with keeping happy some of the mm-hmm. people in La Paz, like. So that one shifted far more professionalized, but you don't see that happening in Congress, right, where you see the opposite change. So if we're, again, thinking about sort of what happens with the MAS as a a party and not becoming this kind of oligarchic party, I think we we can see some evidence for that, and we see sort of part of that as those techniques of, of, of recruitment, and that I think the other thing that um, Santi argues throughout this book is that partly these movements never fully lose their autonomy to mobilize and they never fully get on board with the party. Like mm-hmm. that sort of part about the like party legitimacy being hard to get the movements to actually get on board is like one of the reasons that Santi argues why you don't have that full like kind of iron law sort of story is because the movements actually never fully like they support him, but they still have their own, sort of agenda that they will still mobilize against him. And there were protests against him. He attempted to raise uh, gas prices and there was big protests against him. He had to come back from Mm -hmm. that. Um, So that you saw those constituencies not fully willing to be like, yeah, we'll stand behind you no matter your policy. Um, So that those sort of power, those movements have have stayed um, to some degree even with the rise to national power. Um, I mean, it's very strange. It doesn't make sense to me why that would be the case because if, so, if the diverse movements are all in this, in the urban areas, right? Like you've got the, you've got the cocoa growers in Chapari, mm-hmm. but so all the other movements are in the cities. I think there's other rural peasant so those national peasant organizations have affiliates throughout. Okay. Well, I guess I was just thinking about like why have the I mean the question still needs to be explained about why like if the mass puts people at the head of those organizations. Mm-hmm. Like if those movements are are still like the mass isn't really co-opting them. You know what I'm saying? Right. So you're saying that, like, why do they remain autonomous even in yeah. the face of Yeah, the because it sounds like that's efforts. not what the Moss is after. Like, it sounds like the Moss... I mean, the, the quote that you've got yeah. for me here is pointing in the direction of, like, the Moss is really trying to, like, take them over. Right. I think they are. And then... But failing to do so. I think that's right. So why are they failing? So I don't know. I mean, this is an interesting question that I don't know whether this book will answer more. If not, we'll have some good discussion questions that we should start writing down somewhere for Santi. Um, But I think that part of his argument is that the civil society was so already densely organized that in spite of all these efforts, they have never f- been fully able to control the movement bases. 
right? So like that the basically like everyone's too. I mean, in my terms, right? It's like that they're too disobedient to totally follow the leadership. Mm -hmm. So that like the leadership may be able to like keep a lid on it to, to some degree through like help you know co-opting, buying off, right? This kind mm -hmm. of thing, so that you don't at least have challenges, um, right to the party. Like, like you're not necessarily worried about lead, other charismatic lead. Like you're sort of chopping off potential charismatic leaders' sure, opportunities potentially. I would imagine. I don't know. This is not out of the book. This is my hypothesis. Um, but that it definitely seems like, like basically that the leadership that there's. There's a long history of organization and mobilization that the leadership ha doesn't have full control over mm -hmm. and has never managed to gain full control over. Um, yeah. And I mean, maybe partly because of the way that they came to power so quickly and did this kind of rel very re relatively democratic, if you want to call it that, um, sort of entry into politics of people from these different groups, uh, whether that has also made that harder to kind of then put that real. Yeah, um, I was just noting, I guess w all I was noting was that it sounded like a, a much harder co-opt, like a much more aggressive co-optation strategy that in what you described there about the movement social bases still being strong I guess I still don't know why. That's all I'm trying to say is that it seems like it was not a successful co-optation strategy. Well, successful to get the support. Right. Right. So it's not really a programmatic party. The mosque. That's an interesting question. I wonder how Santi would. I wouldn't. They would not probably. It sounds to me like the pre. That it's more in like in Mexico of a like it's just like whatever, man. Like here's well, how you get no, elected. Except that it has very heavily focused on the traditionally excluded and marginalized groups. Okay, far okay. more than the pre. Right, so the pre was very ideological, and the parentists both right have been much more ideologically yeah. heterogeneous, yeah. and the mass is not right. Right, so it's built its coalition entirely on these kinds of socially marginalized groups plus intellectuals that were leftists. Right. So it's much, it's okay. truly a left party that's built on movements, which is the pre was like a heterogeneous party that organized top down. So I mean, it's, it's program is then really... Its program then does seem to be representation and inclusion in government. So that has been huge in terms of what it's done. But I mean, it seems to have like a programmatic commitment to that, what you yeah, just described. Yeah, yeah. And so, in that sense, true. in that sense, the party is succeeding. They also like rewrote the constitution to include indigenous identity and indigenous language as part of the constitution. No, now it makes sense knowing that about it. I thought that it was. I had understood the mass as really mostly like, I don't think I understood it as having anything other than being a vehicle for diverse groups to make claims against the state. But now I guess I sort of understand that 
the masses, to the extent that the mass has a political program, it's largely about institutionalizing diverse voices. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I will screw it up if I try to go back sure. historically to do this, but the like repression of the indigenous people yeah. and the exclusion was really intense through, I want to say like 1950 or something. I mean, it was like mm -hmm. very late that like, so that this part of the mosque, I mean, the mosque brought things like indigenous dress and indigenous ceremonies right. to like the, you know, um, so yeah, so that was a big. Well, that makes much more sense to me. Part then. of the program. I mean, that said, Evo, I mean, when he was ousted in the coup, had done a huge amount of consolidating power, of mm -hmm. undermining the other sort of aspects of liberal democracy. So he dramatically increased participatory politics um, and like inclusive kind of democratic politics, while kind of degrading some of the yeah liberal institutions. So. Well, it makes a lot more sense to me now. Uh, and we've been going for long enough. For an hour, I think, right? It's over an hour. Oh. Well, pretty close to an hour, yeah? One hour and one minute. <laughs> All right. Well, we better get out of here. All right. Well, I look forward to reading more of this book with everyone. And uh, look forward to talking to you all on Wednesday or Friday. <laughs>